Please be seated. We come to today to the uh, fifth of our series on Acts, Daring to Be the Church. And today we're going to look at Acts 16. Great chapter, got loads in it. It'd probably take me an hour or so to get through it. Um, so you won't be back for the second half. Um, listen, I've had to miss it, so <laughs> there we go. Anyway, I'm going to read a few verses from Acts, end of Acts 15 into the beginning of 16. So you get some sort of context. So Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord, and let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it a wise move to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. Well, Paul came to Derby and then on to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, and whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, so Paul wanted to take him along with us. But uh, Paul wanted to take him along, but he circumcised him because of the Jews that lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened, and in faith they grew and they grew in numbers. Subject for today is undeterred, and that word undeterred seems to come throughout this chapter. And I'm going to pick out some of those times where the word itself doesn't come, but the uh, inspiration behind it does. Talking about undeterred, I came across this old story the other day of um, a, a, a policeman waiting on the side of a highway to catch speeding drivers. And he sees a car come by, and it was puttering along about 22 miles an hour. And he thinks, this driver is dangerous, as dangerous as a speeder. So he turns on his lights, pulls the driver over, and approaches the car. Well, there are five old people in the car, and uh, the two in the front and two in the back, they're wide, opened eyes, white as ghosts. The driver, obviously, obviously confused, says to him, Officer, I don't understand. I was doing exactly the speed limit. What seems to be the problem? Ma'am, said the officer, you weren't speeding, but you, were new. you should know that driving slower than the speed limit can also be a danger to other drivers. Slower than the speed limit, she said. No, sir, I was doing the speed limit exactly, 22 miles an hour, the old woman said, uh, said very proudly. And then the state police officer, trying to keep a chuckle back, explains that 22 was the route number, not the speed limit. A bit embarrassed, the woman grinned and thanked the officer for pointing out her error. But before you go, madam, he said, uh, I have to ask, is everyone in the car all right? They seem really awfully shaken, and they haven't muttered a peep the whole time. Oh, they'll be all right in a minute, officer. We just got off Route 119. 
She was undeterred and drove on. So briefly, we're going to take a bit of an overview of the chapter, dive into a few of the lessons we can learn from this section. Basically, it centers on Paul going off on his second missionary journey. And like any good minister of the gospel, Paul is eager to follow up on the uh, small groups of Christians that have been left from his first visit. He had information from the Council of Jerusalem. We heard about that last week in Chris's sermon. And uh, he, wanted, he wanted to pass that on to them as well. As I looked at the chapter, it occurred to me that Paul and his companions met up with a number of situations where their determination to follow Christ was put to the test. I spotted seven, but I'm not going to go through all seven, otherwise you'll be here a long time. I'm just going to pick out a, th a few of them. The first one is this. He's undeterred by conflict in the team. See, Paul was eager to follow up these converts from his first visit to Pamphylia and Pisidia and Galatia. But a big row broke out between Paul and his old friend Barnabas as to whether they should take John Mark with them. Now, Mark had been on the first missionary journey, but when they got to Perga in Pamphylia, he'd turned tail and gone, gone home. We don't know the reason why Mark went home. Perhaps it was homesickness, maybe the dangers they'd already faced. But Barnabas, the great encourager, that's what his name means, wanted to develop uh, Paul, uh, Mark, as his cousin. Mark was his cousin, and he wanted to uh, uh, develop his, his ministry gifts. And Paul would insisted that Mark is totally unreliable. I refuse to take him with me. And so there was quite an argument, a Barney, that grew up in between them. And they agreed to disagree, and they went their separate ways. Now, it's inevitable that disagreements will happen in a church context as well as anywhere else in life. We're all fallen human beings. We all have our faults. We all have certain ideas. But the important thing is that Paul and Barnabas engaged in an honest dialogue over the subject of Mark's inclusion on the team. What I don't read is that neither of them went off in a huff. They decided it would be better to divide the team. So Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas came from, and Paul took Silas to be his wingman and continued on his itinerary through Asia Minor. And as usual, God turns a difficult moment into a moment of growth. Instead of one mission team, there were two. Disagreements over non-essential matters will occur from time to time, but by God's grace, we need to move on. The important thing is not to get stuck in the circumstances so that grudges are formed. And sometimes a mediator is really helpful. But a footnote to this argument is, is, is great because at the end of the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says this, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. So in between times, Paul had gone, grown in appreciation for John Mark. And that's great. I don't know what's going on in your life today. But if you've got disagreements there, if there are arguments that you have in your life right now, resolve the issues. Talk and listen to each other. Pray for reconciliation. Disagreements are not the problem. The problem is how we deal with them. So he's undeterred by that. But then secondly, he was they were undeterred by God's no. Because Paul's first port of call was Lystra. And it says this in chapter 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions travel through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to. So they passed on by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. 
and a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Interesting. Paul and his, and his company want to go west. They want to go into Asia. Now, Asia, when it says in the Bible there, is not Asia, the continent, as we know it today. The context of Asia is Asia is a small Roman province which was in the, what we now call Turkey. And that's where he wanted to go. He wanted to go west. And the Holy Spirit said, no, don't want to go there. And then they've set their sights on going to Bithynia, going north to Bithynia. And again, the Holy Spirit says, no. And we need to know that uh, God has plans and direction. Has Paul got his guidance wrong? Actually, have you ever noticed in the New Testament that Paul never stopped to pray for special leading from God? His task was to share the good news in every corner of the empire. So he did what naturally came next to him. And this time, God wanted him to go elsewhere. So he stopped the advance into Asia, stopped the advance into Bithynia. Quite how he was told, we're not told. Maybe audibly, maybe a prophetic word. Silas, who was with him, had a prophetic gift, we learn from Acts 15. So maybe he had this word from God. Anyway, it was clear to all that God had other plans for the team. You know, and it occurs, it, as I think about this, I think about guidance and knowing God's will. We make such a mystique out of it. We see that Paul knew that God's purpose for him was to share the good news throughout the Roman Empire. Right from the beginning, when Ananias came to him, when he was blind in Damascus, he said, uh, it was said to him, Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. He had a purpose. And when, God, when Paul gave his last message to the leaders of the church at Ephesus, he says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So actually, Paul knew what his purpose was. It was to tell people, to share the good news. And he went to visit towns, towns with synagogues, towns where there were Jews and where he could share the message of grace. And if they weren't accepted there, they would go to the Gentiles. God had other plans at this time. He didn't want Paul to go to Asia. He didn't want Paul to go to Bithynia. He put a block in the way and gave him a vision then of what came next. While staying at Troas, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia calling him to come over to Europe to share the good news with them. Come over to Macedonia and help us. As far as we know, this is the only time that God outmaneuvered Paul and his team to fit another plan. Folks, if you're wondering what God wants to do with your life, what you should be doing as a follower of Jesus, don't worry. Just keep on doing what you're doing. And if God wants you to change course, he'll perhaps put a block in your way and say, no, not that way, but this way. You don't know what to do? Then trust God. Wait for that leading of the Holy Spirit. Listen for his voice. Be ready and willing to obey. Just a personal note. When I was 16 and had become a Christian earlier that year, uh, that was a hundred years ago, um, I was taking, you may well laugh, <laughs> I was also taking O-levels that summer. My desire was to become an aircraft design engineer. I'd accepted an apprenticeship, or been accepted for an apprenticeship at Luton Airport with an organisation called Hunting Engineering. On that condition that I passed five out of my nine O-levels. Then came the shock in that summer. I only passed three. Even failing my favourite maths, 
I was stunned. Bottom dropped out of my world. But a, a lovely, faithful member of our church, a senior lady who prayed for me regularly, came to me and she said, you need to stop and ask what God wants to do with your life. If God has said stop to that, he's got something else for you. Pray. And so several weeks later, I was praying, and I heard God say one word, teach. And that's what I've been doing with my life ever since. I taught in secondary school. I uh, taught when it, with Scripture Union when I was there, teaching and training, and then with Morelands, teaching and training and mentoring students. I've had the privilege of preaching and teaching in the pulpit as well. It all began with a block in the road and a clear word from God saying, teach, as clearly as that. If we live in obedience, if we keep our ears open, we won't miss the way. He won't let us miss the way. Just keep your ears open and live in obedience. And then thirdly, he was undeterred. They were undeterred by enemy interference. Having arrived in Philippi, Paul and his companions wondered where they would find believers or seekers. Where would they find them? There was no synagogue. So the faithful Jews might gather where? And they worked it out by the riverside, a place of prayer. And the team met there with Lydia and other women. And they had the joy of seeing Lydia and her household become Christians. Lydia was probably a wealthy purple cloth merchant. And she put her trust in Jesus. But I love the phrase, which is used in the New Living uh, Testament. It says this, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. And the question I have for you this morning, has the Lord opened your heart yet? Maybe you've attended church before. You've perhaps been going for many months. You've not crossed that line of faith. Maybe the Lord is opening your heart and calling you this morning to put your trust in him. Later on, we'll see a young lady baptized who's crossed that line of faith. And the Lord has opened her heart. As Paul and the team were making their way to the place of prayer one day, they were accosted by a young slave girl. She was under the influence of an evil spirit. She made a nuisance of herself by following the group and loudly announcing what Paul and the team were up to. And according to the text, it actually means that she was loudly yelling. She was shrieking. And Paul got so fed up with this, he commanded the evil spirit to leave her. Instantly, the spirit left. She was set free. Great news for her but not great news for those who owned her because she couldn't fulfill her role as a fortune teller now because that had gone. The evil spirit had gone. So her master seized Paul and Silas and had them imprisoned. One thing you can be certain of if you're a follower of Christ is you'll encounter opposition. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, the message version says this, anyone who wants to live all out for Christ is in for a lot of trouble. There's no getting around it. Persecution, opposition comes in all shapes and sizes. Maybe at home, maybe at school, maybe at work, maybe in the neighborhood. The fact that you're following Jesus challenges other people and they may react to cause you trouble. Even so, we experience so little here, don't we, in the way of opposition. While our brothers and sisters in other countries have major problems. Even this week, some Pakistani churches were, uh, were burnt down. The members of the churches beaten. In places like the Maldives, if you're discovered to be a Christian, you may lose your citizenship. In Burkina Faso, you could lose your family, your home, and your church if you're found out by Islamist extremists. In North Korea, you might be deported to a labor camp or executed. That's happening 
in the 21st century around us. We have it easy here, don't we? Living as a true believer in Jesus will often bring troubles. Are you prepared for this? Families don't sometimes understand what's happened. They think the relative has taken leave of their senses. I remember being told when I was younger that I'd grow out of it when I was older. (laughs) I haven't grown out of it all these years later. Whether it be very direct opposition or subtle interference, you can be sure that you will encounter trouble, especially as you tread on the enemy's toes by obeying Jesus. And those that have been baptized, so Callan last week, Lauren this week, and Candice next week, remember that the enemy doesn't like it, doesn't like it when people testify. So pray for them. Pray that God will keep them and protect them uh, against the enemy. We may take comfort because God has promised to be with us. I love those words in Psalm 23 when David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you're close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. There's no place on earth where God has not already been. And Psalm 139 says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. Jesus himself declared he would be with us to the very end of the age. So yeah, there may be problems. There may be troubles. There may be strife. But actually, he said he'd always hold on to our hand. No wonder Paul and Silas were singing in their prison cell that night, beaten with wooden rods, thrown into prison, smarting from the false accusations. But they knew that God was right beside them. And he would never let them go. They were certainly undeterred. Struggling to understand why you're misunderstood, why you're even being persecuted for being a believer. Take a comfort. God will never, ever let go of your hand. And then lastly, undeterred by the circumstances. As I read this chapter, I come to the conclusion that Paul and Silas were totally taken by surprise when God used an earthquake to change their situation. They weren't expecting an earthquake. They were praying and praising God, perhaps praying, God, please help us in this situation. But they didn't expect an earthquake. In that area, as we know even today, that's very prone to earthquakes. And much like Peter earlier in Acts, who was rescued from a jail in Jerusalem, he was shocked when he was woken up in the prison, in his chains, and somebody knocked him on the shoulder and said, come on, come with me. It was an angel who led him out uh, from that prison. And Paul and Silas soon understood, understood that actually it was God that was at work. You see, the jailer was about to commit suicide. He'd heard the earth, heard the, seen the effects of the earthquake. He'd seen that the prison doors were open. He'd seen that actually the chains had all fallen off the prisoners. And he was about to commit suicide because in that day, he would be guilty if any of the prisoners escaped. And they probably would have had the death penalty. But Paul says to the jailer, don't. We're still here. Our chains may have gone, the doors may be open, but we're still here. And he was shocked and realized that something bigger was happening. He'd heard the songs of joy and the songs of praise from next door. And now these prisoners were taking charge of the prison. And he falls to his knees and he pleads with Paul and Silas, show me how to get right with God. And do you notice how quick the apostles were to share the good news with the jailer and his family? They didn't need any extra encouragement. And soon the whole family are brought to faith and they're baptized. It was the natural next step 
to believe and be baptized. How about you? Have you put your trust in Jesus? Maybe some time ago, perhaps. What about taking that next step of obedience? The message of the early church was believe and be baptized. Paul and Silas and the team weren't put off by the earthquake, but they used it as a means to share faith with the jailer and his family. And it reminds me that in our daily lives as Christians, we should be alert to God moving in our situation, looking for those opportunities to share our story. It's not about charging like a bull in a china shop, but it's about being listening for the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Lee Strobel, some of you may have read his books, The Case for Books, Case for Christ, Case for Faith, was once an avowed atheist and a newspaper journalist on the Chicago Tribune. He tells the story of his friend John. John was attending a course called Becoming a Contagious Christian. The man was a businessman, and he travelled each week. And one day, whilst he was in Atlanta, he found himself in a sunglasses franchise in an airport as he awaited for his next flight. He talked to the guy running the shop, and uh, he bought a new pair of sunglasses. As he left the shop, he had that prompt from the Holy Spirit. He felt he should have said something about Jesus to the man. So when he got to the door, he didn't know more than he turned around. He didn't know what to say, so he blurted out, those sunglasses are really great for, for blocking out the brightness of the flames of the sun. The man agreed. And John followed it up with, so wouldn't it be good if there were some sunglasses that could block out the brightness of the flames of hell? Immediately he knew he'd messed up. What he said, he would have flunked his course. It wasn't the sort of thing you were taught to say. And to his surprise, the man in the shop said, yeah, you're right. I've been thinking about that this week. And that day, that man acknowledged that he needed Jesus as his saviour and put his trust in Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that's a good way to start a conversation. I don't believe it is, but you've got to be open to the whisper of the Spirit. Paul and Silas, the earthquake had happened. The prisoners were still there. There was an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And we need to be open. Where is God work? work? Patiently allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us. Paul and his team were determined to follow God's leading and to trust him to use them. I love the way the chapter finishes, though. The next day after the earthquake, the officials realised that they'd messed up. They were in breach of their own regulations. They'd, been, they'd beaten and imprisoned Roman citizens. You couldn't do that in that day. And Paul had no intention of slipping out the back door. He waited for the city leaders to come to the prison, to come and apologise to them. And then... Having received that, they met with the new church members of the church, the new little church in Philippi, and left for the next chapter of the venture. Paul had a great heart for the church at Philippi. When he wrote to the, the epistle, the letter to them later on, he, he, he wrote these words, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my, in my heart. They were a mixed bag. There was a slave girl who'd been under the influence of an evil spirit, set free. There was Lydia from the upper class, rich woman, seller, a merchant of, of purple. And then there was the jailer and his family, very much middle class. And the gospel touched each area of society. A proper church reaching all levels of society. So Paul and his team were undeterred by the conflict which occurred at the beginning 
undeterred by God saying no to them, undeterred by opposition, undeterred by circumstances, even an earthquake, because they knew that God was in control. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it instructs us. And Lord, we pray that we might be those that are open to the leading of your Holy Spirit. That as day by day we live for you, there might be opportunities to speak those words, to take those moments, to share something of your love for us. Father, will you keep us? Keep us following your ways. That Sometimes there might be a no, but when there's a no, there's always another way that you want us to go. So help us to follow you obediently and Lord, putting you always in first place. So bless us, we pray today in your name. Amen. In the lives of people way back here in Acts chapter 16, he's still doing today. The gospel was proclaimed by the simple sharing of a story as people went about their everyday lives. Lydia comes to faith. The jailer's family come to faith. They're baptized as a sign of that faith in Jesus. And Lauren, it's going to be a real joy for us in a minute uh, to see you baptized. And we're really looking forward to that. But if there's one thing we can be absolutely sure of, is that God can hold us. And when we stand on the rock, who is Jesus, it's a firm foundation. We're going to sing a song about Jesus being the cornerstone. And whether we face good times or more tough times, plenty of those in the story in the book of Acts, then Jesus is still that cornerstone, the rock upon whom we can stand as well. Let's stand together. Let's sing this song together. And as we do, our children, our young people will come and join us again. <laughs>